Welcome to StoryWise. This is a podcast designed to give you an in-depth account of the story behind the people who are telling stories as a way to reveal, inform, and inspire the writer into learning how they too can make their dreams a reality. My name is Jen Grisanti. I am the Career Script Consultant at Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc. I am proud to introduce to you as my guest today a prolific and tremendously talented writer, Glenn Mazzara. Glenn is a writer who inspires me and so many others, not only with his work on the page, but his commitment and dedication to the process of helping other writers. Glenn has an incredible slate of work. He is currently working on Jada Pinkett Smith's new show, Hawthorne, for TNT. It premieres on June 16, 2009. Glenn is most recognized for his brilliant work for six seasons as executive producer writer for The Shield. 2003 Golden Globe winner of Best Television Drama. He has also worked on Crash for Stars Network, Life, Standoff, and Nash Bridges. Thank you for joining That's me. That's quite an introduction. Thank you. <laughs> you are very welcome. Look at your body of work. Looking at your body of work, what? how does that feel at this point in the process? Um, I think it feels good. You know, I, I've, I've been fortunate enough to work with a lot of talented writers. I've had a lot of good... Um, experiences. I, I've, uh, I'm happy. I'm happy with the show that I'm working on. I'm happy with what I'm able to do with it. To work with the other writers and to break stories. It's, it's a the show right now is uh, set in a hospital. Jada plays a uh, chief nursing officer. And uh, when I originally started, I was a hospital administrator for 13 years back in New York. That's great. And so I was one of those many people with a screenplay under my arm and trying to figure out how to write. And, and uh, I managed an emergency room and some ICUs, and I did that for a long time. And uh, at one point, I was three levels underground, filing papers in a purchasing department. And uh, a manager I had been, you know, hounding to sign me called and said he had, a, a, you know, my agent on the phone. So I came out to Hollywood and, and um, you know, took some meetings and, and, and uh, got a gig. And, and uh, it's been a long road. It's been ups and downs, and, and I've had some tough spots. And But right now I'm, uh, I'm working with a lot of good people, and I think that's been the biggest difference this year is that I like everybody I work with, and everybody's talented and knows what they're doing. So, so I'm enjoying myself. That makes a very big difference. Yeah, I was when I had heard you were hired on Hawthorne. I, I recognized that your experience is 13 years in the mm-hmm. hospital world was definitely going to lend to the concept. Have you reached for a lot of personal story from what you went through? It's more of a feeling and a sense of confidence with the material. I really feel like I know that world, and I will say this would happen or this wouldn't happen or what's plausible or the best way I like to break story is to figure out what do we want to reveal about our character this week and then try to find the story that fits that. And uh, it's difficult when you're starting a new show because you don't have the character really. You just have a couple of pieces from the pilot. So, and this was a very good pilot written. The show was created by John Macius, who's a talented guy and created Touched by an Angel in Providence. That's great. And originally when I went on to the show, I was concerned because, you know, I do Gritty Affair and I was on The Shield and was interested in creating my own hospital drama 
and I was afraid that this would be too soft mm -hmm. for me and that I wouldn't enjoy it or fit in. But John has a, a very dark sense of humor, believe it or not, that I don't think came out in the, his other work. Oh, that's cool. uh, he also worked on St. Elsewhere, and I would say this is closer to St. Elsewhere than anything. Which goes in line with some of what you've done. Right. Telling story from the female-driven point of view, how does that differ, differ from The Shield and Crash? Well, it's funny because I always consider myself the female writer on The Shield. I mean, okay. it, was, it was such a, it was such a, a um, it was such a testosterone-driven room mm -hmm. that we needed some breathing room on that show. So the time that I was on, I felt like I contributed a lot of the humor and a lot of the heart to that show. Uh, whereas all of us, I mean, not just the other guys, but all of us. Uh, we're always trying to outdo each other with the the you know cool factor and the action factor and the sick factor and all of that. But I like to sort of show a balance in my work, so I I don't feel that this is that different. I feel like it's just, um, you know, you're writing for a star, right? And she's driving all of the action, and I think this you know this the shield, all of that comes from the stuff that I learned on Nash Bridges. Sean Ryan, who created The Shield and, and is the showrunner on the unit, and I were writing partners on Nash Bridges. Mm -hmm. And we were taught by John Worth and Carlton Cuse. All great mentors. Yeah. yeah. And uh, they taught us how you really write for, you know, a single lead who's driving the action, who is the focus of all the, of all the stories, whether or not he or she is in them. So I think I'm just applying what I learned. And I'm I'm personally very excited to see Jada Pinkett Smith in a role like this. I she's think great. it's going to be you know, great. Yeah, she's, she's she's a lot of fun, and she she's, she really pops on screen. And I would say that that was one of the biggest reasons I took the gig. Great. Because I just felt you know you watch her and she's dynamic and compelling. How did you get your first representative? What was the script that you wrote? And what was within that writing, story-wise, I am very curious about at what point in the process you felt like you were really starting to get and understand story and be able to make a living from it. Um, well, I'm not sure if I ever thought I could make a living at it. Um, there, there was, I, it was probably after I was offered my first job because yeah. I, was, I was just, you know, um, forcing my way through. What happened was I always wanted to be a writer since I was a little kid. And I was thinking about this, that, you know, there was one time when I came home from school. This is going to sound goofy, but it was one time I came home from school and, uh, you know, I was like, hey, ma, and just ran out. And she was like, wait, 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 your brothers and sisters, your, your brother and sister always tell me what happened. So then I proceeded to sit down and tell her every single thing that happened that day. I love okay, it. Okay, for like three hours. I just talked incessantly. And I think she was like, okay, that's enough. You know, but I think that's – I learned how to tell stories to communicate with people, to bond with people, to spend time with people. You know, to – that's how mm -hmm. I connect with people. I, I entertain them. I tell them stories. And so – I wrote a couple of, you know, short stories in high school. I was, always was committed to being a, a, a writer of some kind. I didn't know if I wanted to be a TV writer or not. Right. 
And uh, I wrote this one short story, and I gave it to my favorite professor, and he just said it was the biggest piece of garbage he ever read. Wow. Yeah, and he said, you need to go out and just read. You need to read all the Russians, all the <laughs> Americans, all the Brits, you know. And, and he just inundated me, and so I did that. And then after a while, I felt like I was putting my writing career on hold because you can't possibly read everything get it under your belt, and then start writing. Right. And it took me a long time to figure that out. Actually, I got married when I was 25, so uh, right around then my wife said, well, when are you going to write? You just have to write. You will talk about writing, but you never write. So I sat down and I started writing some short stories, and then I have a, a friend that I'm very good friends with, a fellow named Michael Thomas, who's actually a novelist who's who's first novel was picked uh, from New York Times top 10 books of last year. First novel, that's right. First great. novel. That's great. And uh, so he and I became very close and uh, we talk about writing and, and that's that's been a great relationship and helped me work out who I am as an artist. And he um, was going to Brown University so I wrote a play about something that, uh, an incident that occurred in my family and I liked that format of writing a play. I love okay? plays. Yeah. So I had I had written. I thought it was very quick and just sort of got it out. And it was a wonderful experience because it was workshopped um, every night, a community theater type of thing. And then I was re rewriting during the day. And my father's a very, very quiet guy. He's a lot like Bob Newhart. <laughs> and the guy who played him in the play was a guy who had just been released from the Rhode Island State prison system because he, he was so dangerous they kept him in lockup in solitary and he sued the state for uh, inhumane treatment and he got out so this guy was a serial killer now playing my Bob Newhart like father okay so wow. that, that was my first experience <laughs> so so I, I thought well I, I, then I spent some time trying to write screenplays and, and you know it's hard to learn how to write and um not saying I know how, but I was making a lot of mistakes at that time. With your, so, oh, I'm sorry. One thing I'm curious yeah. about when you talk about your father, because I know that mm -hmm. writers often have a fear of exploring familial moments mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. their parents will see themselves in or not appreciate the way they're portrayed. Did you have any fear of that? Well, my, my parents have never seen this play. They never will. They've oh. never read it. So uh, it was a you know a painful period that I wrote about, but they would, no one in my family will ever say it, you know, so that's, so you that's had for the me. freedom to write from your core. And, and yeah. That's yeah, great. I just, I just, you know, that's great. embrace that. That's great. And so, um, what I did was I, st uh, I'm a big researcher. So I was researching, how do I get a career in writing, maybe in film or, and somebody explained about TV and TV is a more social thing and, uh, a more social you know, activity and a uh, world. And one of the things that I did in the hospital was I managed a lot of people. I managed areas you had crisis. And, and someone who knew the TV industry said, what you do now is actually like producing a TV show. Mm. And it was great advice. Yeah. And um, so I sat down. This woman who gave me the advice was a, uh, a woman named Margaret Drain, who was the um, executive producer of The American Experience. She's my wife's aunt, uh, American Experience on PBS. Great. So she became friendly with a guy named Bob Goodwin, who was a producer on 
the X-Files. Uh-huh. So he came and, and he was in Boston and she set up a meeting and he explained to me how you write a spec script and how you break in. And he was really, you know, just sat down and it was an informational interview. So I wrote a spec ER, which was kind of easy because I was managing an ER. And, uh, and then I sent that out. I kept calling people. I kept, you know, hey, you know, Joe, do you know anybody in L.A.? And I kept networking for about four years. I was just pounding the phones every day. I was goofing off from my job. And I had this other job. And as writers, you always have that other job of getting your next job. Right. You're, you can't ever stop. You right. have to work hard at your job, but you have to line up your next job in case you get fired or your job goes down or what have you. Constantly so, networking. Constantly hustling. Yeah. So I finally, through a series of connections, connected with a, a manager, a very sweet guy, and he um, read this ER and said, wow, you can write. So I was like, okay, and immediately I thought he was a con artist and he was going to take all my money somehow or whatever. <laughs> so he said, well, what else would you like to write? And one of the things that's always inspired me growing up in New York in the 70s and 80s was just, you know, a lot of crime stories, and, and I was a big Hill Street Blues fan and big Sidney Lamette fan. So I wanted to write a, a cop show, but I didn't think I could do a good job with the Milch speak of NYPD Blue. Mm-hmm. So I joined the Museum of TV and Radio. What's interesting is now with this podcast, everything's being downloaded. Back then, if it wasn't on the air, you couldn't see it. Right. You know, this is just, you know, 96, 97. And uh, so I went to Museum of TV and Radio, and you put on the headphones, and they load in the tapes, and I watched, you know, 30 homicide episodes. So I wrote a, a homicide, a spec homicide. And so then my manager sent that out. He had an agent, and he liked that. And then they said that um, they wanted to see one more script. Uh-huh. So I was watching Buffy at the time. So I sat down, and I wrote a Buffy on a sugar high in the NYU library. I just wrote it in, you know, about... To, in a weekend. Great. And I sent that out, and they said, great, why don't you come out? And I signed with the agent, and and that Buffy got me a job on Nash Bridges. So it was it was a lot of, of uh, I think, well, what happened with my first job on Nash Bridges, I came into this room where Carlton and John Worth and Sean Ryan are sitting, and I was wearing a black suit and tie. Wow. That, because that's what you wear to a job. That's a great yeah. first group to and, be working well, with, Well, I didn't too. know who these guys were. <laughs> so I said I had this old case that Nash messed up on. I have one story every scene beat out. And I said, well, it's Don Johnson. He doesn't mess up. What else do you have? I just started sweating. I started sweating through the black suit. I started gasping. My I turned white. I almost passed out. The guys are, like, watching me have this panic attack. And so John was merciful and brought me into his room. Actually, I lied down on the couch. I'm, I'm not kidding about I, this. And I he love ga- this. He, ga- he gave me That's some uh, so, some, uh, some ice water and was like, kid, you were trying way too hard. You're too needy. So just come back next week and just give us big ideas. So I came back the following idea and just pitched 30 different story ideas. And they had never seen anybody you know, that hungry before. Usually people come in with five or six ideas. Right. And uh, and I sold them an idea, and then and then that was, uh, so that was a freelance episode. And back at the hospital, three levels on the ground, I made 43 grand a year, and these guys wanted to pay me 30 grand to write this. Wow. So I called my wife and said, you know, when I had a son at the time, and, and uh, you know, put the kid on a plane, I guess we'll move to Hollywood. So it wasn't until, you know, almost... Five six years into pursuing it, 
it wasn't until somebody actually said, here's the check, put it in the bank, that I thought I could make any money at it. Okay, next question. Um, looking at your own body of work, mm -hmm. if you were to pick a favorite scene or mm -hmm. episode from a show that you've you've done where you felt like you hit the level, you hit your peak of, wow, mm -hmm. that is really what I wanted that to be. What, what would that be? Uh, I know exactly what that is. I've only hit it twice. I hit it once in a spec pilot, and I hit it once on the shield, in my first shield script. And, uh, you know, I guess people know in the shield, at the end of the pilot, Vic Mackey shoots another cop in the face, yeah. you know, a character named Terry. And in the uh, second episode, he's interviewed about it. And then in the third episode was my episode. And it was originally slated as the, as the fourth, but it was moved up to the third because we had this character, Shane, mm -hmm. which uh, played by Walton Goggins. And yeah, he was he's fantastic. Great. He was really wonderful and did a great job. And um, I wrote this episode called The Spread, which was about that the guys, the strike team, are just taking a. Um, really, they take a uh, basketball player who's playing against the Lakers, they play, take him into custody. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't realize he's been kidnapped, and they're really trying to keep him there and kidnap him so that he misses the game and the Lakers win. And he's African-American, and he's very rich, and he's entitled, and he gets under Shane's skin. And it escalates into a real hostage situation. And at one point, Shane pulls out his gun like he's going to you know, shoot this guy. And Vic is, is arriving at that point and pulls him into another room. And it's like, what the hell are you doing? And Shane says, well, isn't that what we do now or whatever? And, and Vic's like, what are you talking about? And, and Shane just breaks down and says, we killed a cop. I and, remember that and, episode. And Vic says, listen, Lem failed to clear the room. And two-time, who's the drug dealer, shot Terry. That's what happened. Get over it. And what happened was we broke that entire story without that scene. And And as I was writing it, and I wrote the outline, and then as I was writing the scene, it just happened. It was a surprise. It just came out of me. And it, that scene just was there. You know, and, and that was Shane, and that was his voice, and the idea that Vic could compartmentalize, I think, crystallized a lot of what that show was. Now, I'm not taking credit for that show in any way. I mean, Sean. But you were on it for six years, so but, obviously. No, you no, were no. But, but that scene, I yeah. just felt like they it. were doing something, and, and this character was deeply his, his guilt. And his fear and his anger and his self-hatred was deeply rooted, and it was driving him to do uh, screwed-up things. And I think that was the story of The Shield. And so it was really, um, again, uh, that just came out of me. I, f I felt like that was a gift. And then w I was lucky enough to be on set, and it was directed by Clark Johnson. It was amazing, and, and and it was it was fun to watch them do it. And I uh, uh, that was the time when I really felt like, wow, this is a good show. And I felt like I had hit it as a writer. You so hit I your was, stride. Yeah, I was happy with that. Was one. there fear with that? Like you always hear writers say when they when they hit 
the moment of wow everybody is responding and reacting and they didn't know they knew maybe inside but to see everybody happen and then in comes the fear of am I going to hit that again no because I think that what a lot of people don't realize is that when you are a writer you're a writer you're a writer for life so I could get thrown out of the TV industry tomorrow. I probably will. <laughs> but um, I'll still be a writer. Whether or not I ever write another word, I'll still write. So and sooner or later, I'll pick up a pen and I'll start writing a short story or a play or a screenplay or, or, or a novel or what have you. So I think that, you know, you talk about a body of work. You know, that's just one scene in a body of work. And, and, you, and know, you feel like it was a step in the process that is actually moving you forward, whether they're going to be, you know, obviously there's going to be positive moments where you're going to hit your stride again. Yeah. There's going to be moments where you're going to fall back and you're going to learn and then you move forward again. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, with that particular scene, I felt like that was a good day. That's that, great. That, that was a good day and I, I, I nailed that one. And a lot of times you don't nail it and you keep going on and, and you hope that, your body of work at the end of your life somehow adds up and you are pleased with it, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that you just, the only way you can do that is to trust yourself that your instincts are going to lead you through the process. And if you are writing things for money and you're writing things that you're not interested in or that you can't do a good job with, um, you're not going to be proud of your work you're going to look at it as your job and, and that's going to be unsatisf uh, unsatisfying. But if you look at it as an art and you look at it as, uh, what's interesting is it's, I see it as a painful process. You know, people always say, write your passion. Well, passion means suffering. Yeah. <laughs> no, does, I'm in agreement you know, with It you doesn't that. mean obsession, it, it means suffering. Yeah. So you really have to be willing to go through that and do uh, a lot of hard work with yourself and it's lonely and it's isolating and, and when you and what's interesting about writing is that it's out there and everybody thinks they can critique it and everybody thinks they can judge it and they can that's part of your bargain of being an artist you put it out there for people to like or not like and to critique and say what you could have done better and that's very painful now yeah, no, I agree with that. But I think that the strongest writing is when you are the most in touch with your own life story um, to hit the universal themes that really affect all of us. And I think you've done a beautiful job at that well, thank in your you. body of work. Thank you. Um, another thing I respect about you with your work with young writers, mm -hmm. what inspired that? Like, I know very few people at your level who are as active as you are in mentoring young writers and I, I just think this is phenomenal so well thanks and and um, after I worked on Nash Bridges I was on Nash Bridges for uh, two seasons and I was not a good fit on that show I mean they liked me and and hopefully they responded to my writing uh, but you know I wanted to do more realistic fare so you know I wanted to uh, really write on The Sopranos or ER or some, some realistic show like that. And so I kept pitching, you know, Nash is in a crack house. And they said, no, 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 <laughs> Nash is not in a crack house. He's ch chasing rollerblading purse snatches or he's fighting, you know, monster trucks this week. And 
and and it was fun but i just i was trying to change that show and i I just wasn't getting in the vibe so so and i tried you know but it just wasn't the best fit so so they were happy to get rid of me and i was happy to leave and and uh uh i thought i was just easily gonna walk into another job and i didn't staff that season and so I thought, oh, no problem. I'll just staff in the fall because uh, well, I'll staff after staffing season because that's when I had staffed on Nash Bridges originally. Uh-huh. And what happened was I just started writing and I wasn't getting a gig. You know, that Nash Bridges credit wasn't really as hot as I thought it would be. And, and I guess my specs were drying up and people had read them and passed. And, and um and I was just taking a lot of notes from my manager and my agent at the time, and the work was getting watered down. And I was writing out of a place of fear. Mm-hmm. It took me about a year and a half to figure this out. And I was just living on credit cards, my wife and two kids, and I had this pretend job where I was going to the library every day, and I would keep a journal. And And what I would do was I had so much anxiety just about how I was going to pay my bills and everything that... And I offer this to your audience that I would write in a notebook and I would just get all the shit out of my mind and just write for four pages. Oh, I've got to call this guy back or, the, or, you know, we always have those irons in the fire and then they all go cold. So uh-huh. I would just kind of use that to start my writing day. So in a way that you stretch before you go for a run. So I would just get all that garbage out of my mind. And then after a while, I would get tired of hearing myself whine. And then I would start writing my scripts. But um, I didn't staff that second season. So now I was out of work for over a year, really just living on credit cards and and small residuals because I had only written a few episodes. And so it was very, very difficult. And it was very lonely. And scary. And, and I mean, scary. the life and, of a writer. And yeah. it, it was all on me. And my wife was, I hope he gets a gig and maybe this was all a farce. And it was really, really tough. And I started ignoring my rep's advice. And I started calling writers that I had met. And I started networking. And I started going to Writers Guild functions. Good and I, sta- I started just, you know, and it really ticked these guys off. Mm-hmm. You know, but I got a few interviews on my own and stuff. And what happened was I um, realized that the way you get staffed in TV is through other writers. Mm -hmm. You meet other writers. Writers hire people. Writers know writers. So there's a community of writers that unfortunately is actually very fearful of each other. Most writers are kind of goofy. They don't socialize too well. Uh, There's a reason people don't want them on a set. They're very... Uh, uh, you know, they're the smart kids in school. <laughs> you know, they're usually vocal. They're usually angry. Um, I like writers. You know, they're they're dysfunctional in a very nice way. And yet yeah. there's this belief that they're supposed to be like lawyers, very professional and hit the mark at, you know, 9 a.m. and write till and be efficient. And I don't know any writer like that. So So I just remember how incredibly depressing and lonely it was and I didn't have, and it took me a long time to figure out. Well, there were other people out there, and I can ask them for help. So as I started having some measure of success, I thought, let me just go out there. Let me just help people. Let me just, you know. And this started where I, I did an article for written by magazine. I, I worked with a woman 
for this article just about staffing season. Mm-hmm. Just how do you navigate I read staffing it. season? It's you know? amazing. Well, thank you. And yeah. and, uh, and and so I've just been, you know, so part of my thing has been to keep my name out there, actually, so people know who I am. So if I ever need a job, hopefully someone will, you know, be like, oh, I heard this guy's a good guy. Maybe I'll hire him. Um, but also, uh, you know, I, I do want to help people because it, it's very, very difficult and, and people don't understand um, that those ups and downs, those daily ups and downs, my, uh, I, I might sign with this agency. Oh, well, they just merged with another agency and now they're not taking on new clients. You know, those, uh, those, those, those things take a physical toll on your body and it becomes very demoralizing. And I was lucky enough to get through it. But I see other people who aren't getting through it sometimes, so I just try to help But you them out. use that as a major motivating factor. I mean, I look at when I when you think what makes people want to write. I mean, you look into your dark moments, you look into your joyful moments, you look into your life moments, and you draw from those. But what's interesting to me is you're drawing from your own life experience with the staffing process and because there were there were dark moments in there, you're using it as a way to give back to other writers and inspire, which I think is the greatest outpour for it. I, I really no, think it, it is amazing. Let's go to break. We will be back with Glenn Mazzara. You're listening to StoryWise with entertainment consultant Jen Crisanti. StoryWise is a podcast designed to give you the story behind the people who tell stories, offering you insight on what it takes to work as a writer in television and film. Hear this and other podcasts on www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com, a full-service writer consultancy committed to guiding your vision. We are back with Glenn Massara, executive producer, writer of The Shield, Crash, and many other shows. What shows are you watching right now? And also, what shows have been your favorite shows over, say, the last 10 years? Well, right now, I think the two best shows on TV that I'm really enjoying, uh, scripted dramas, are um, Friday Night Lights and Breaking Bad. I agree. I think those are very good. I know Mad Men gets a lot of attention, but it's just not for me. Yeah. I just don't connect with it on an emotional level. And over the past 10 years, you know, I think one of the best shows that's kind of been forgotten was Freaks and Geeks. Yeah. I just loved Freaks and Geeks. And I thought agree. that was fantastic. So, Great taste. Uh, I think The Wire was yeah. was mm-hmm. the best show in a long time. I like to think The Shield's up there somewhere in the top 10. But, um, you know, the, 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 those are the shows. Do you know, it's interesting. Like, I, would, I definitely agree with Friday Night Lights and uh, Breaking Bad, I think, is just unbelievable. It mesmerizes me every mm-hmm. week. Big Love was also an excellent mm-hmm. show mm-hmm. this year, mm-hmm. and I definitely agree with Mad Men. I think the the complexity behind the central characters and the flaws in the history is definitely at a place, certainly you've worked with that, with the characters you've worked on, mm-hmm. that I think is allowing to, a writer to go places they haven't gone before. You know? Well, yeah, and I think a lot of this stuff is, you know, the benefit of cable. Friday Night Light strikes me as more of a cable show. It's sort of languishing on NBC, and I, get, I commend NBC for sticking with it and picking I it do. up for another I two do years. I do as well, yeah. I think that's great. Mm-hmm. But, you know, these character-driven dramas are, I think, better suited to cable. You know, I thought Damages the first year was mm-hmm. very good. I agree. Um, so it's it's um, it, it's tough, I think, to do that type of storytelling on 
network. It's mm-hmm. just so crowded. And the so parameters yes, are tighter. Yes. Yeah, it's sort of like the networks are becoming more like this, looking for the su- summer blockbusters mm-hmm. as they do in a feature world. And now, feature-wise, I'm, I I know you write features as well. You're writing mm-hmm. one right now right. for Universal called Hater. Right. It's based on a book by a guy named David Moody, and it's uh, being produced by Mark Johnson and Guillermo del Toro and directed by Juan Antonio Bayana, who did a wonderful movie called The Orphanage, a Spanish right. thriller. So this is a thriller. It's a little different for me. There's a supernatural element, but I'm having a great time working on it, and... and um, you know, hopefully it'll get made one day. I'm curious because as I work with television and feature writers mm-hmm. and really studying the story structure process, it is amazing to me in its most simplistic form that they are not that different. What have you found, like, the difference in writing television versus writing feature as far as story structure? Um... I don't know about story structure. I mean, you, you know, I would have to say that what's interesting to, to me is that every time I write a story, the story itself dictates the process of how I write it. Mm-hmm. I've never written a script the same way twice. So sometimes I – most of the time I write longhand, but sometimes I'll dictate. Sometimes I'll type on a computer. So every script is completely different. It's a completely different experience. There's no, I have no process, okay? So if I'm writing a feature as opposed to writing a TV show, that's just that particular script. So I don't differentiate it as much as other people might. I will say that the one difference that if I think about it, writing TV is that you always have to find something new. You always have to – you don't just make a big statement as you would in a feature. You make a big statement and then you build on that or you flip that or you mm-hmm. twist that or you – or it opens up territory to move into for your characters in the next script. So what's fun about writing TV is not so much the writing of it. I mean that's always fun and and difficult but it's – you know, how do you break 13 episodes of something? Yeah. How do you break 15 episodes, 22 episodes? How do you write yet another interrogation scene on a cop show and make it different? Right. So that is a greater is, challenge. Is, is a greater challenge. And also yeah. TV, to me, is, is a, a form of poetry because it's really about compression. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of restrictions when you're writing TV. You have cost, you have... Uh, your actor can't work that day you have you have act breaks to worry about you have all of these uh, rules that box you in and yet it has to remain fresh and exciting and and unique every week so it really puts a lot of pressure on you as a writer that you don't necessarily have in a feature if yeah. i if i want a helicopter to crash into a bridge I I can get that maybe you know I mean if if Whereas that's where the, the budget, budget on TV yeah you're, you're just never going to get that, yeah, that you're, you're not really going to talk about that so no, that's that's tell. kind of interesting. Now, as far as your work with young writers right now, what would you say if you were to give one very strong piece of advice to someone who's starting off a career in television and or features? What would that be? It's funny you ask this because my nephew is starting college and he just sent me some plays and short stories that he wrote. 
And my brother, who's a surgeon, asked, you know, well, does he have any talent? Should he give this up or whatever? So I just had this conversation last weekend. And uh, I was happy to say that the kid had some talent and oh, had a spark. Great. And I said, do not take any film classes. Do not take anything that you think will be good on the resume. Do not worry about your career. Do not worry about that. Learn how to write and write well. And if you write well, people will pay you to write well. And that other stuff will fall into place. But again, we have two jobs as writers. We have to handle our art and we have to handle our business, our career. And the decisions we make regarding our career are only going to be fear-based. They're not going to help our art unless you have some confidence or don't care about your career, unless you have the, the confidence to say, well, let them fire me. I don't give a shit. Okay? And then you'll go and write what you want and either people will respond or not. I've written on a lot of shows and I've been probably fired for most of them and, and, and you know, but I don't care. I'm still going to write and, and hopefully people, you know, my material is not for everybody, but it's for me. And so I have to write that. And I think whenever we are worried about, oh, should I go with this agent? Mm -hmm. or, oh, should I do this? Should I do that? That's the stuff that keeps you up at night. Mm -hmm. The stuff you think about in the shower when you're driving around about, oh, wouldn't it be cooler if, you know, the husband came home sooner or something? You know, when you think about that story, that stuff reinvigorates us. That stuff, you know, gets the adrenaline pump and that stuff's fun. That's why we're artists. The other stuff, is the, the career decisions are all important, but I think we take them too seriously sometimes. Yeah. And, and I believe that if you have faith in yourself as a writer, you're going to trust your instincts that you're going to pick work that is going to bring out your best work and then open doors for you. So when I wrote my Buffy, mm -hmm. I didn't know that was going to get me a job on Ash Bridges. Right. I didn't know that. I just right. wrote it because I felt I could do a good job with it. And then it opened doors. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So with spec scripts, so, that's good advice. Yeah. So you write, you write, I think you need to find, writers need to find and to concentrate on writing a signature piece to so that people know who they are. Are you the quirky person who can write Gilmore Girls or are you the, uh, you know, gritty jock who could do Friday Night Lights or the snooty businessman or who could do Mad Men or whatever. And you want to show, but you can't write everything. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying that people should be typecast, but I, it's sort of like on, you know, uh, American Idol where you have to pick the right song. Right. You have to pick the right script so that right. you can shine. Right. That's the bigger problem. Yeah. If you write the right script, It'll lead you to the right job. Mm -hmm. So just like how I feel, and I hope this doesn't sound too hippy-dippy or something, but as I believe that a story reveals itself to you and will come out and in, in the, the issue of writing that is to, I believe, suppress your ego in a way and let it come through you in, a, in sort of a Zen technique mm -hmm. that your career will unfold also, mm -hmm. if you are concentrating on the right stuff, if you're trying to force it, you just drive yourself crazy. Right. And, I, and, and the other thing, if I could just take a minute, is that I believe that as you access – this is sort of a new thing I've been thinking about. 
that as you access your emotions and you get and and you get in touch with yourself even though you're trying to suppress your ego but as you get in touch with your emotions mm-hmm. to write and to feel what's honest and what's exciting and what's new and what's what's what you have to say that's very painful but i believe that that the more you do that, the more it drives you insane. Mm-hmm. Okay? It's right. very dangerous stuff. But that's why I think a lot of writers drink and take drugs and people go crazy. And they, right. You know what I mean? I, I think that you look at actors who become successful. You see comedians who become successful. You see musicians who become successful. It drives them insane. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's necessarily the business or if it's the fact that they're just living in a place that's so close to their emotions mm-hmm. in a way that non-artists aren't right you know so i know this sounds a little heady but it's it's i think you have to there's so much going on that you just really have to focus on picking work that's going to help you that you feel is honest that you feel is is good because there's a lot of dangerous distractions out there and i think rising above the darkness i mean i'd have to say one of the the biggest reasons that i wanted you as my first guest was the idea of going beneath the surface Mm -hmm. and getting to the truth behind writing and I think as you touched upon um, firing I mean for young writers it's certainly good for them to recognize getting firing is part of the process in Hollywood getting you know yeah I mean listen there's there's you know I've I've fired people I just Mm -hmm. fired somebody a few weeks ago Mm mm-hmm very, it's a rite very, of passage. Very, yeah, but you know what? It's 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 that as a, a showrunner and an executive producer, mm-hmm. I have to think about: Is this person? I, let's, listen, I've never hired anyone I didn't like, so it's very painful when you fire somebody. Yes, but there there's a thing about: Is this person a good match for the material? Those guys liked me on Nash Bridges. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it wasn't like they didn't like me. I'm still friends with all of them. I talk right. to them all the time. That's right. no problem. Right. But the I was not all of a sudden going to come in with a thousand Nash Bridges stories that were right in the zone that was going to solve their problem. Right. How do we get through 22 episodes? So it's simply a, util, a utilitarian question. It's nothing personal. It's business. And and sometimes it's about changing the energy. Sometimes it's about we feel we've tapped you out. Now we want something else. And yet, because you're accessing your emotions and you as an artist are doing your work, when you're rejected and not validated in any way, how can you not take it personally? Right. It's impossible. And that contradiction right. is one of the many things that drives us insane as artists, you know? And makes you stronger writers. I mean, as storytellers, you know, when we look at our greatest storytellers in history, many of them come from the backgrounds you just described. I mean, the the idea of the darkness and putting it on the page is definitely part of it. Um, Mm -hmm. um, As far as um, one, technique-wise with your younger writers, and we'll end on this note, which this has been Phenomenal. Thank you very Thank much. You. Um, um, what would you, what technique would you use for young writers? Or what would you, actually, you know what, a better question. What would you recommend that they write original? 
scripts right now or spec scripts? And also, I'd love to know like what spec scripts you're reading right now and responding to. Uh, the spec scripts that I'm reading right now, and I did just read a lot of spec scripts. I've probably read about 30 over the past two months. Um, I think Rescue Me is a good spec mm -hmm. right now. I right. think it's actually better than Dexter. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Breaking Bad's a very good spec. I, I, I think that's a smart spec. Um, you know, and I do like originals. I think when I meet writers, I ask them, what are you writing now? This is one of the things that drove me crazy about mm -hmm. the strike because I always ask this question. Nobody was writing during the strike. Everybody was all... Right. Uh, to, too screwed up and too anxious to go home and write. And plus everybody felt like, ah, oh, I just picketed for three hours. I'm... So there was, there, we never had that great, great surge of spec material after the strike. Right. Not that I know of. Right. You know, but most people did not write. But I think it's important to always be writing and to write something that you love. Write something that even if everybody else in the world says it's a piece of garbage, you go, well, you know what? I got a kick out of it. I liked it. You know, I mean, I, I did this show, Crash, last year. Mm -hmm. And, um, Great yeah, there show. was, well, thanks. But there, 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 was, there was a lot of, uh, you know, the original two episodes were cut together into the pilot. So there was a lot of re editing, and there were a lot of producers from the film who were involved, and the studio handled it a certain way. So, but at the end of the day, I wrote what I wrote, and I liked what I wrote, you know? And I had a writing team, and, and, and we were proud of those scripts. Whether or not it came together and made it to screen, that's a different story, and that's a whole different podcast. But I wrote what I wrote, and if somebody doesn't like it, they can read my scripts and tell me that where I went wrong. But I'm telling you, I like those scripts. And nobody can take those scripts from me. And I never go back and read my scripts. Right. It's always about the next script. Right. So people just have to write. Do not write what you think is going to get you a job. Right. Write, write something that after you write it, if you get killed, people go, wow, this person was an artist. That's a real loss. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. seriously, that's yeah. a scary thought. Yeah. But that's how you have to write. You have to write like every script's going to be your last. What do you want to leave behind? What do you want the world to think of you? What do you want to add to the world? What do you want to say? That's important. And I think that people are writing sometimes a lot of these scripts are writing fearfully mm -hmm. because they want to get a job. Um, most scripts, I'll say, most spec scripts that I read, and I do read a lot, um, you know, and I, you've heard me say this before, it's like a bell curve. Mm -hmm. And most scripts are very competently written, and mm -hmm. they're right smack in the middle. But I'm looking for that spark of imagination, something that says, wow, I wish I wrote that. Mm -hmm. That's unique. Right. Get me that writer. Right. Okay? And, right. and And you need to be out there as a writer not writing anything gratuitous, but just writing something fun, <laughs> you know, something interesting. An original. Some, an original. And, yeah. and, and, and I think that people um, can really do that in, a, a, in an original piece. So I, I would push everybody to work on their original pieces. And you do your spec scripts because you have to. That's more of the homework. And you try to make them fun. And and just realize that not every script you write is going to be considered brilliant. They're not for everybody. Right. But if you write enough of them that people um, respond to, you know, hopefully it'll work out. I, when I when I was starting out, I wrote nine spec scripts. 
See, this is great. This is great for nine. people to hear. So it's and not wrote, like you wrote three spec scripts and boom, you were hired. And, no, I did. Yeah. I, I wrote, no, let me say, I wrote three spec scripts and then boom, I was hired. I was lucky. <laughs> right. But then I continued to write. Right. And then I was out of work and I was writing. So I, I always wrote spec scripts. That's you know, great. When I was on The Shield, I was writing spec scripts. Right. That's okay, great. I was on the shield that was winning the Golden Globe. I was still writing spec scripts for my next job. Well, and that's a mistake I think you know. that higher level writers make. They stop writing spec scripts. No, you always have to. Yeah. So that is a great piece of and, advice. And some of this yeah. stuff is just sitting in a drawer. You know, yeah. I mean, my, not too many people have ever read my spec Ally McBeal. Right. My spec Everybody right. Loves Raymond. No right. one's ever going to read that. Right. But I wrote it, I got it out, it. and I move on. Okay. So. So. No, this is great. Thank, no, thank you, you very much, Glenn. This this information is very valuable. And as I've said earlier, I find you a huge inspiration <laughs> on so many levels. I do. <laughs> and I and I I say that with all sincerity because of your lack of fear of facing your truth. And I, I think that's great for all writers to learn from. Well, thank thank you, you so much. Very sweet. Thank you. You've been listening to StoryWise with Jen Grisanti. If you're looking to get the next step in your career and need a guide who has been there and knows what it takes, go to www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com. On the website, you can also find the latest on writing programs, feature film festivals, and other writing competitions. StoryWise is produced by Joel Metzger and Hot House Bruiser Productions. 